D, take one. We've been married for 40 years, but who's counting? And for 40 years, we've been making these adorable little resolutions. And my first resolution this year is to let Frank be a better husband. This year, I resolve not to do these resolutions anymore. I've resolved to no longer feel disappointed. And I'm okay with the fact that Frank is not the man he used to be. I just mean that going to the gym is hard, and me being okay with the fact that you're never going to go again, ever, makes it easier. I have a bad back. Well, that doesn't get you out of everything. What does that mean? Nothing, nothing at all. I think last year Frank made a resolution to believe that everything in the house fixes itself. This year my biggest resolution is to make Betty think. People actually like her cooking. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's funny, because this year I'm resolved to let you do your own cooking. What? Yeah, I'm going to be a big enough woman to let you be your own man. But I'm not my own man. And I'm resolved to be okay with that. But I, I like your cooking. You do? Of course I do. Have I, have I ever said I didn't like your cooking? Yeah, just now. I said people. I, I didn't say me. Well, do you like it? You never told me that. Then this year I resolved to tell you... How much I appreciate your cooking. Well, look at you. One for three. <laughs> I love you. Mm, I love you, too. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you think you could resolve to brush your teeth after you drink the coffee? Mm, yeah, you could resolve to stop burning every pile. Well, I get the opportunity quite often to stand right here in this spot and do a... Uh, a lot of wedding ceremonies, and I've resolved that I want to show this video, okay, at the beginning of every one of those ceremonies, because, um, you know, any of us have been married very long. We can sort of relate to that. Uh, most of us who've been married more than three weeks understand that marriage is a lot harder work than we first anticipated it being. You know, I always think about these couples while they're standing here, you know, and before I marry them, I normally do some kind of interview with them, and I, I ask them um, why they want to spend the rest of their life with each other, and normally I bring one in and then the other so they don't get to hear it until the ceremony. I remember a couple of years uh, bringing a, a lady in about to marry this young man, and, and I asked her, why do you want to marry him? And she started listing all these qualities, and then at the end of it, she looked me in the eyes with this innocent smile on her face and said, I think he's just perfect in every way. <laughs> and after I threw up, I said, that will work. <laughs> that will work really well in the ceremony. You know, it, it, it's a challenge to be married. We have words in our culture that go, there's that moment, you know, that it's harder work than you thought. We say the honeymoon is what? It, it, it's over. Even the apostle Paul said, marriage is a profound mystery. Now, what, what do those words mean, profound? The, the, the literal meaning there is it's a mega mystery. It's an unsolved puzzle. How do you make it work? I, I like what Joel said a few moments ago. He'd been married 17 years, and he's finally learned a couple of things. He's ahead of most of us, right? We even have a book that help, helps us understand the differences we're trying to bring together. You might remember this title from a decade ago. Men are from where? And women are from, what to say? We are coming from two different planets. 
And, and today we begin a, a message series on marriage. And, and the title of today's message is The Secret. But if I could give it a more practical title, I think what I might say is this is the message I wish someone had told me. And, and for many of you today, I hope this is a message you feel like you need to hear today. Maybe you're a married couple and you need to be reminded of what marriage is all about. Maybe you're unmarried and you desire to be married one day. And this will be that speech where you get to hear what you need to hear. Or maybe God has called you to singleness. And you've got that ability to remain single the rest of your life and serve in a special way. And yet you're going to be ministering to many people that are married. And hopefully as we go through these next few weeks together, we will help each other begin to help each other in marriage. Why? Because today there is a great pessimism about marriage in America today. Uh, According to the latest Gallup polls, 40% of Americans believe that marriage is obsolete. In 1960, 72% of American adults were married. Today that statistic is 50%. What's brought about that pessimism? Well, there's some beliefs that we have. Uh, Number one, that most marriages will fail. And we often cite that statistic that 50% of marriages fail. Number two, we also, many believe, that most marriages are miserable. I was eating lunch with a single man a month or two ago, and he was thinking about marriage. He said, buddy, I would be a lot more excited about getting married if I just actually saw some couples I thought that were really, really happy. Now, I said to him, you just need to get to know some more folks. You can find those people. The comedian Chris Rock says, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? And that's what many people believe about marriage. And then number three, we believe the solution to these problems is to live together before we're married. Today, fully 50% of couples live together before they marry. If we went back to 1960, that statistic is almost non-existent. Now, we have some great theology on that. And here's the way it goes. You wouldn't go out and buy a car without test driving it, would you? You can go make this kind of decision without a test drive. Now, look at those reasons. No wonder we're so pessimistic about marriage. But here's the good news I want you to know this morning is that all three of those reasons are actually myths. They're really not true. Let's deal with the first one. The statistic is true that about 45% of, of, of marriages in America end in divorce. But if you take a certain slice out of that, if you take out people that are married before they're 18 years old, people who don't graduate high school, and people who are married after they've had a child together, that statistic almost is cut in half. And so the average marriage doesn't have that kind of statistic. And then the miserable category. In in polls today, 62% of Americans say they are very happily married. And that has been true, the same number, over decades of polling. It hasn't changed. And here's some other encouraging statistic. If you say you're unhappily married today, if you would wait 
and stick in your marriage for five years, five more years, two-thirds of you would then say you are very happily married. So today, if you come to this assembly and you're a little bit miserable in your marriage, just stick in there five more years. You know, it can get better. Is that good news for you? Here's what I want you to see here is these statistics are not true. Not even the one about it's better to live together before you get married to make sure you're quote-unquote compatible. Every statistic says from Gallup poll that people who live together before they're married are much more likely to get a divorce. So, marriage seems to be in a little bit of trouble in our culture today. What do we need to do? We need to go back and we need to read the owner's manual. Listen to me. When all else fails, you go back and you read what it's all about. And that's what I want to start this morning. We're going to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and we're going to wade through this passage of the beginning of marriage. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now listen to me. If you're reading the book of Genesis, this interrupts the rhythm. To this point, in all creation, God has said, day one, this is good. Day two, this is good. Day three, four, five, six, this is good. And yet here's the first place where God says, this is not good. What is not good? It's the loneliness of man. Here's what you got to understand this morning. Big time. Marriage is God's idea. Now, you can read lots of books that say that marriage came about because of certain societal pressures. Some will say marriage came about because in the Bronze Age, they needed to figure out who had the property rights. But we know today from this scene at the beginning of time that marriage was God's idea. So here's what we need to learn. If it were God's idea, it would make a lot of sense if we would start out by seeing what God has said about it. Well, let's keep looking. Look at verse 19. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called them, he called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. Now let's stop there, because that that seems a little bit out of place in this passage. We're about to talk about marriage and woman, and right in the middle after God said alone, and before he creates woman and brings him to man, we got this thing about Adam naming the animals. First of all, we got to say Adam must have been a pretty smart guy, don't you think? Can you imagine having to name all the animals? I I, I think I'd be like this, you know. Okay, that is an animal with four crawling feet, you know. And then I'd go, that's a little bit larger animal with four crawling feet, you know. I mean, how do you you name all these animals? Adam must have been quite bright to come up with all these names. But we also need to notice that God is doing something here. There's a purpose to God bringing all these animals before Adam for him to name. And there's got to be something that really sticks out in Adam's mind. There's got to be something that is just beyond not noticing. And what is that? You bring the giraffe. There's a male giraffe and a female giraffe. 
You bring the elephant, there's male and female. You bring the lizard, male, whatever you bring, there is male and female. And what is God doing? God is revealing in Adam's heart his longing to have a companion in life. He's setting Adam up for what he's about to do. Adam is fully aware that he, unlike any other creature, is alone. So look at the end of that verse. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. He knows that. And so God's got to build and fashion a helper. Now, we're a little uncomfortable with that word, a helper. Wives, how many of you really like that one, all right? Uh, we, we, we watched the movie a few years ago, an incredible movie called The Help. And we think, you know what? I'm not too thrilled with God creating me to be the help. Well, you need to understand this word. This is a beautiful word about companionship, about working side by side together. In fact, this word is used the rest of the Bible exclusively as a description of God Almighty. So women, for God to say he created a helper is another idea of God creating you in his very image. So how does God do it? Look at verse 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Now, why does he put the man to sleep? I like the answer I heard this week. So he would not mess it up. (laughs) And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought it and brought her to the man. Now, the word here for taking a rib really is the word that God reached down and and, and he pulled out a rib and the flesh all around it. I mean, what's the significance about this part? The significance is that woman is not taken from man's feet to be beneath him, not from his head to be above him, but from his side to work alongside of him as an equal in life. And then we see here that um, it's a male and it's a female. It's really shocking that in the year 2012, we've got to say this, but we need to say this. Marriage, biblically, is between a man and a woman. Amen? Who would have thought 10 or 20 years ago I would need to say that in a sermon? And I even hear Christian people today say, it's not a really big deal whether it's legal for gay people to marry or not. And I want to say to you guys, this idea is so foundational for culture. It's so biblical. But not only is it biblical, it's been true of every culture from the beginning of time that marriage has been a monogamous, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman, that do we expect we can change that and there not be some incredible negative repercussions? I think it matters. And then look what happens. I like verse 23. When he brings this woman to the man, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Now, you don't catch this in the English translations. But when he said, This is now, I mean, it literally means this one at last. 
after seeing all the animals come before him, all the husband and wife teams, you know, all the male and females, finally Adam exclaims, this is an exciting exclamation. This is at last the one for me. I mean, he is so, so excited. It's ecstasy. It's, oh my goodness, there she is. I think he could have said this and been okay at this time. Oh my God, look what you have done. It's incredible. You ever had that moment? I remember the first time I met Stephanie. I was preaching this little church in South Alabama. I saw her there. She was the only person below the age 60, and I was... (laughs) (laughs) She looked good, I'm telling you, all right? And I came back to the church secretary at Landmark, Peggy Dix. I said, Peggy, I don't know about this, but I think I met my wife last night. That's the moment Adam had. If you're single, maybe I can make it a little bit more real to you. A few years ago, we had a new Christian guy here in this church. And this is about what it's saying in the Bible. And we made him a greeter out on that sidewalk. And, uh, you know, he was a little bit rough around the edges, but we thought he could handle greeting. And, And so he's shaking hands, and this beautiful, beautiful girl comes up. He shakes her hand, welcomes him to Landmark. Then she walks by, and then she hears him say, <laughs> we never let him be a greeter again, okay? That's what Adam is doing in this moment. He is blown away by this woman. God made man, he fashioned woman, all right? And Adam is blown away by that moment. And keep looking at the passage. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Now, here's what I want you to see here. What are the biblical purposes of marriage that we even begin to get an idea of from the beginning story? Maybe we have messed marriage up because we've forgotten what it's really about. Let me give you four words to describe this. First of all is the word companion. God did not want man to be alone. My friends, the number one purpose of marriage is for friendship. And mark this down. The best marriages are between best friends. I mean, you can have the romance. You can have all the other things on top of that. Those are nice things. But at foundation, you better have a good friendship or the rest will never come. Second, it's for friction, all right? It's for friction. Man and woman are created differently. They're wired differently. And whenever you put two people together that are different, there is going to be some kind of friction. I remember when Stephanie and I were newly married and we were struggling in our marriage and we started going to this marriage counselor when we went to Pensacola and he was really great. In one of our first sessions, he said, buddy, you got to understand this. There are two, two meanings for marriage. The first was what I just gave you, companionship. And the second, he said, was friction. For the first time, I felt successful in my marriage, all right? Because, guys, marriage is going to bring some friction in your life. It is God's way of knocking those rough, selfish edges off you. That's part of the purpose. And then number three we see here is procreation. These people are to become one flesh. It is for that intimate relationship that also is going to lead to the birth of children. That God is creating a place of absolute intimacy, nakedness, and union that will also be a place that is safe and secure to raise children. And that brings me to number four, 
which marriage is a foundation. Because marriage is foundational. There are three institutions that God has come up in the Bible that are important. One is marriage, one is government, and one is the family. And the truth is, marriage was the first. And if we don't get marriage right, it's going to destroy the nation and the family. It's that important. It's meant to be a permanent, lifelong, monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. It is for the stability of society, church, and family. And that's the importance of that word, to cleave to one another. That's a strong word. It's to be glued permanently to one another. After years of marriage, I finally come up with the right answer when Stephanie gets so mad at me and she's going to say, well, I'm going to leave you. You ever, ever been at that moment? Here's the right answer. When your wife or your husband says, well, I'm leaving you, here's the right answer. Well, if you're leaving, I'm going with you. <laughs> okay? That's the kind of permanent relationship it is supposed to be. Now, when you look at those four purposes, does anything stand out in your mind? What stands out in my mind is there's no mention of happiness. I didn't mean that to be funny, okay? <laughs> All right? We'll get to happiness in a moment. But that's not one of the foundational purposes. And yet I have people walk in my office quite consistently to talk about getting out of their marriage. And here's the, the, what they think is the home run statement. I am no longer happy in this marriage. And what they expect me to do is stand up and say, well, let me go help you, help you get a lawyer. Listen to me. Biblically, guys, happiness is a side benefit, not a foundation. Like the statistic I gave a little while ago, if you're not happy in your marriage, you be obedient to God, there'll come a point where you are. And so we need to see the purposes that God gave for marriage and how powerful they are to us. Now, here's the big irony. This is what you need to write down from this sermon. We got this pessimistic view of marriage. We've got God's view of marriage, which is quite different. But here's what I think is ironic about where we are today. Our overly optimistic view of marriage created our overly pessimistic view of marriage. You say, that makes no sense to me, buddy. Let me say it again. Our overly optimistic view of marriage is what has caused, created, our overly pessimistic view of marriage. You said, what are you saying here, buddy? I'm saying we have set ourselves up in modern culture for disaster. Because here's what we believe. There's one person out there for me, and I'm going to meet that one person, and they're going to fulfill that hole in my heart. They are going to fulfill every need I have physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. There's that person out there that's going to do that. We even talk in these weird modern terms of finding our soulmate. Now, guys, I'm not opposed to that. But what I'm telling you is that what we have done is we have put so much pressure on marriage that it can't stand up to that. If you are looking for someone who's going to make you whole when you're empty right now, you're looking in the wrong place. Because there is no one that can make you whole except God. 
Because here's, here's what we're doing, is we go out in life just thinking that I'm going to meet that perfect person, we're going to get married, it's going to be a perfect union, and everything's going to be great. The problem is what? Nobody's perfect. I, I, I like the story of the man who's going to church. He was his wife's second husband, her first husband had died, and he had remarried her, and she was griping about their marriage and how unattentive he was. And finally, they went to church one Sunday, and, and the preacher was really getting fired up. And finally, the preacher said to the audience, you know, there's nobody perfect. In fact, he, he went on and asked the question, if there's anybody who's perfect in this audience, would you please stand up? And that man stood up. And the preacher said, what are you doing? He said, are you perfect? He said, no. What are you doing? I'm standing up for my wife's first husband. <laughs> now, guys, listen. <laughs> there is no such thing, right? So let's, let's, let's look at what happened. Because, guys, if we don't get to the core root of this, we're not going to make progress, Okay. Because what's happened in the last two, three hundred years is society's view of marriage has completely changed. And it's caused us to have these incredibly unrealistic, idealistic expectations that nobody can stand up under. Here's the way it's gone. Here's the best way I could put it. You know, marriage has moved from about being about us to about being about me. All right? Originally, marriage was an institution by God that was for the common good of mankind. Now, marriage is a private arrangement for my personal satisfaction. Now, do you see the shift that causes? Because, again, I almost wouldn't notice that because the, the second one sounds right, according to our culture, it's about my satisfaction. But, guys, there's a big movement from it being about us me, my wife, my children, my church, my culture, and it being that foundation to the point where marriage is about me and do you satisfy me and make me happy. It's dangerous. And that's why the number one reason for divorce today is incompatibility. But let me tell you the biblical view of compatibility. The biblical view is that there are no people, two people, who are compatible. You recognize that? I like what one author said I was reading this week. You always marry the wrong person. Because it's not about marrying the right person. It's about becoming the right person. And that's what marriage is all about. So maybe, here's what happens. The things that drew you to that person are the very things that might drive you crazy after you get married. Let's talk about Jeff and Sue. Jeff was um, very talkative. And Sue was very attracted to that because she was very shy. Jeff was spontaneous and lived in the moment, and Sue was more future-oriented. And it looked like the perfect match. But guess what? After they got married, Jeff's talkativeness began to appear to be self-centeredness. And Sue's shyness began to look like him, like she didn't really care. And Jeff's living in the moment looked very unambitious. And Sue's living in the future looked miserable. And so Jeff ends up looking like he's self-absorbed, and, and Sue ends up looking at him like he's lazy, and she ends up, he ends up looking at her like she's just miserable. Isn't that interesting? 
the very things that drew them together now put them apart. And guys, that's why it's something that has to be worked on. Marriage is hard work. Now, here's a, here's a couple of lies Satan tells us. First of all, we just addressed this one. You're married to the wrong person. You just blew it. You made a bad choice. You're married to the wrong person. Listen, it's not about being married to the right person. It's about becoming the right person. And the second lie he says, and it's a big one. If it's this hard work, we can't be right for each other. Because the American view of romance is that you fall in love with somebody and you never fall out of it and it just gets better and better and better and you just make it through. Because that, that's American view, not a biblical view. The Bible recognizes this is, Paul said, it's a profound mystery. It's hard work. And guys, we wouldn't say that in any other profession. If you're a baseball player and you want to be able to hit a fast pitch, you don't say, well, you know, it just shouldn't be this hard of a work. You know, it's not worth it being a baseball player because it's just so hard to learn how to hit that fastball. I mean, if you're a novelist, you know, and you're wanting to be a great writer and it's very difficult to come up with compelling characters, you don't quit writing because it's that difficult. If you want to be a pianist and it takes hours and hours of work, you don't say, you know what, I must not be born to be a pianist. It just takes too much work. It ought to just come natural. I just sit down in front of the piano and it it happens. Guys, we wouldn't look in any other area of life and say that, and yet we come to marriage and we do that. So let's start getting to some solutions. What do we do about this challenge in marriage? Now, I I could give you some more words of where we've moved. We've moved from self-mastery to self-fulfillment. Used to be a man, a real man was a person who could bring their emotions, their sexual desire, their selfishness under control. You watch TV in our culture. A real man now is a person who you, he he can act on his emotions, his sexual desire anytime he wants to. We've moved from uh, creating character was the biblical purpose of marriage is to becoming, um, to reaching my own goals. So how do we get past that? Here's what we're going to do the next six weeks. We are going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at the power and the pattern of biblical marriage. And let me just give you a quick preview of the real secret to marriage here in this message as we close out. Look at this passage from a new translation, the message, Ephesians chapter 5, at the end of the passage. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. Paul says, what is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Here we get to the secret, all right? I like the way Timothy Keller puts it in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, which is a book that I'm using an awful lot of in this sermon series. If you want to get it, read it. It's a great book. He says, here's the secret. Do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus, and the rest will follow. That's the secret, guys. What did Jesus do for his church, for his people? He gave himself up for her. He didn't come to church and say, guys, it's 50-50. I'll do my 50%. You do your 50%, and we got something going. It is 100% 0%. 
And so Jesus comes and Jesus does for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus gives himself up. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus gives freely. Jesus gives undeservedly. Jesus gives grace. Means if you're waiting to give your spouse when they deserve it, you're waiting way too long. And if you're waiting to give back to her until she deserves it, you're waiting way too long. It will not work. It's only when those holes in your life have been filled up by God. When your fulfillment comes from God and now off that foundation, you are now able to reach across and to love and to serve one another. And my friends, no happiness was not mentioned in that list. But I'm telling you, when you begin to see marriage the way Paul does here in Ephesians 5, then when you begin to give freely, unreservedly, unexpectedly, then you begin not to have self-fulfillment from fulfilling yourself and your spouse fulfilling you. But here's the truth of Scripture. It's hard for us to get. Is that self-denial leads to self-fulfillment. And that's the key in life. And that's the key in marriage. So let me give you one more purpose of marriage as we close out. The final purpose is illustration. Our marriage are meant to be an illustration of Christ's sacrificial grace and love for his people. I had something, I've I've done hundreds of weddings. I I, I did a wedding, though, this summer of a young couple. Many of you know Renee and Ariel Zarang. And when I met with them, know when I meet with a couple, I ask them lots of questions. And one of the questions I, I always ask is, what are the goals for your marriage? And they gave me an answer I'd never heard. I I would not, at their age, have been mature enough to say it myself. I said, Renee, Ariel, what is your goal for your marriage? And they said, the goal of our marriage is to reflect the love of Jesus for his people in such a way that people are drawn to God. They got it. That's the secret. Despite our pessimism, despite the work it is, that's the secret. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus introduces us to God's amazing grace. Because that's the foundation of your relationship with God. That's the foundation of your relationship in marriage. Here's the truth. For you to extend amazing grace, that means to give your spouse what they don't deserve. You've got to first accept the amazing grace of God. If God works on you're making me happy or not, if God worked on the basis of you're fulfilling my needs or not, if God worked on the basis, you know, are you meeting my goals or not, we would all be, as we'd say in the South, in a heap of trouble. But the good news, the gospel is that God's grace is beyond that. It's not about what you deserve. It's not about what you've earned. It's about the amazing grace of God. And here's the beautiful thing. When you have accepted that, now in your marriage, in your friendships, in your church, where you work, you now can extend that kind of grace to other people. It truly is unique. It truly is almost unheard of. It truly is amazing. So now as we come to the end of our time together in this message, I want to give you an opportunity to respond 
There may be some of you who need to accept the amazing grace of God. And today's the day that you want to surrender your life to Jesus and be born again. There may be some of you here that your marriage is in such desperation today that you need the prayers of the church. If you're our guest today, one thing I love about this church is that this is a very open and honest church. And often on this front row, you'll hear people confess their addiction to pornography or their addiction to cocaine. But listen to me. Here's something we don't hear enough of in this church is confessions about our struggles in marriage. Now, how can we be a church where it's okay to confess pornography and cocaine addiction where we hold back and the shepherds of the church don't find that marriage is on the rocks to the, the divorce table? You know what? It's because people sometimes in those addictions come to a point of desperation where they say, you know what? I don't care what I look like. I don't care what anybody says. I got to have the prayers of this church. And some of you today are at that point in your marriage and you need to let your pride down and say, you know what? It, It doesn't matter at this point. I just need some power in my life. We need some change in this marriage. And maybe you need to come forward. I'm also going to give you another option today. We have four couples that will surround these outside walls. And if you would like, let me ask them to go ahead and stand up and go. Mitch and Rhonda Temple, uh, Alvin and Brenda McQueen, Jim and Sherry DeBray, Tim and Rhonda Goo. They'll be across the back. And, and while we stand in just a moment and sing, you know, if there's just something going on in your marriage that you could use some prayers about, every week of this message series, we're going to have people doing this. Just very nondiscreetly while we're standing and seeing, just go back to them and say, I'm telling you, would you pray for me right here on the spot? I'm convicted by what's happened in this place today. I'm overwhelmed by the amazing grace of God. And now I need the strength to give it to the person that despite all of our frailties and faults and tension and friction, I love more than anybody else in the world. So today... As we sing this wonderful old hymn, Amazing Grace, would you respond to it in whatever way is appropriate in your life? Let's stand together and sing.